Okay, um, again, this is week six. We've been looking at this. It's not just another story. We're looking at different stories that Jesus is telling or parables and going, a lot of times, if you grew up with the Bible um, or didn't, maybe some of these stories are familiar or you have read it a million times and we can start to gloss over some of these teachings of Jesus. And so uh, I wanna just slow down, hit the brakes a little bit and, and let's look at, at these stories and these parables that Jesus is teaching. Yesterday, I was hanging out with my, my cousin. A lot of you know my cousin, Nathan. Um, he is, uh, we, we call ourselves Babasm. I think I've said that before. We're brothers from another, but almost the same mother. Um, our moms are identical twins. And so we uh, share 50% DNA, right? So we're like uh, half brothers in that way when you talk about DNA, uh, which is cool. Our kids, I mean, we just, we share the same life. It's unreal. I'll, something crazy will happen to me and I'll call him up like, dude, this thing happened. He's like, dude, it just happened to me. Um, it, it's just wild. I mean, anyways, I was hanging out with him yesterday and he was like, hey, what are you, what are you, what are you preaching on? And I think I've, I, and I usually joke about this regardless of what we're preaching on or what the text is, it's always Jesus, right? Like, it's just, wait, what are you preaching on tomorrow? Jesus, it's always Jesus. But I slipped in the pinky in the brain line, right? Of, of this, the same thing I do every week, pinky, right? And that, my cousin thought that was funny. Um, but we're gonna talk about Jesus. And we're always gonna talk about Jesus, even when the story's about Jesus or when it's not explicitly about Jesus, it is about Jesus. Uh, and so that's what we are gonna be looking at this morning. Luke chapter 14, 12 through 24 will specifically be our text. Before I get into that, have you ever um, been bait and switched? You know what I mean? Like someone promises one thing, you show up for that thing, and then something entirely different happens. Um, I was just coming back, my wife and I and our kids, we just went to a camp, uh, Iowa regular Baptist camp. Uh, the regular Baptists, they were separating themselves from the particular Baptist. It's a whole long thing. Uh, but, but we went to this camp, really conservative camp. You go to church twice a day or chapel twice a day uh, in the morning and the evening. It's a lot, uh, but it's good. The kids love it, right? Henry had a good time. Henry did the zip line for the first time. That was pretty wild. Uh, and so um, anyways, we're, I'm driving back and, and I'm at a gas station. I'm just at a gas station filling up. And, and this random old guy uh, is on the pump on the other side and he just wants to talk. He just wants to tell a story. And I don't have like the most friendly demeanor, you know, when I'm just standing around pumping gas, but he just really wanted to tell a story. And he was like, hey, you go fishing. And I was like, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I like to fish, you know, sometimes. And he's like, oh man, back when I was a kid, my green, he's from Boston, had the I'm not even gonna try to do it, just thick Boston accent. He's wearing a Boston Red Hot socks hat. Older guy, probably in his 70s. He goes, when I was a kid, we used to go fishing in the river. And one day we caught two barrels of fish. I mean, just tons of fish. And we tried to give them to our neighbors and nobody wanted them. Nobody wanted to clean them. Nobody wanted to gut them. And he's like, we found this restaurant. And this restaurant was like, yeah, we'll take them. We'll gladly take them. And so we gave these barrels of fish, you know, cod and, and, and whatever else. We gave all these fish to this restaurant. And as we gave it, and they say, hey, why don't you guys come in and, we'll, and we'll, we'll feed you some of these fish. And so he's like, we went in and we had this meal of these fish that we just caught. And he's like, wouldn't you know it? They gave us a bill. <laughs> and, and it cracked me up. The guy just really wanted to tell me this story, but it made me laugh. And I, you know, I'm, my gas gets full. And I was like, well, thanks for the story. <laughs> like, see you later, I guess, you know. But he, had, he wanted to tell the story, but I was like, man, how awful would that feel? You know what I mean? Like you're sitting down, you're eating food that you caught and you just gave, and then you get a bill for it, right? He felt bait and switched. And there's gonna be an element of that to this story that Jesus is gonna tell. That something doesn't quite 
uh, work out the way that someone intended it to. Um, we're calling this the great banquet, and we're going to be looking again at Luke 14, 12 through 24. And again, just a reminder, what is a parable? We're going to get there. We're going to put a little bit of context of, of Jesus setting it up, and then he's going to tell a parable. And what is it? Again, parable just literally means to throw alongside of something. And it has, and the parables have one meaning, and, it, and it's not uh, allegory. You can't do a one-for-one, one, oh, this person and that story represents this, and this thing, and this element represents this thing, and you, gotta, you can't do that because you're going to get yourself in a world of hurt. Um, and, and so it's, it's alongside something else, and usually, almost every single time Jesus tells a, a parable, it is to highlight and to represent the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is like a, like a man who finds a buried treasure and he goes and he sells everything he has and he goes and he, and he gets this thing. Why? What does that mean? Well, what is the treasure exactly? Maybe the gold represents the, the gifts that Jesus got when he was in him. No, 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 stop doing that. It's not an allegory. It's thrown alongside the idea that it is a kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is so valuable and precious and that when we see it, there's nothing that we're gonna stop that's gonna stop us to, to, to achieve it and to try to get that thing that is Christ and is the good news and is the kingdom of God. And so that's what the, so again, we're gonna, we're gonna get to this parable and this thing that is being thrown alongside of is what is the kingdom of God and what is Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God? So let's, um, let's get into a little bit of the context here before, and we're gonna be in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse one. It says, one Sabbath, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, it seems like every time we get up here to teach, it's a Sabbath. There's a Sabbath that's happening, and Jesus likes doing things on the Sabbath day when the religious leaders do not like doing things on the Sabbath. It is against the law and their laws, their man-made laws, above and beyond what the, the, the Old Testament would say. And so Jesus shows up, and he starts doing and performing miracles on the Sabbath. And, they, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders are furious with Jesus. How could you do this? So one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, we don't have his name, he was being carefully watched. So Jesus is invited. He's invited over to this religious leader's house, a prominent Pharisee, a teacher. He goes over to his house, he's invited, and then it says this, he was being carefully watched, and verse two, there in front of him was a man suffering with abnormal swelling of his body. Um, we don't have a lot of information on what that is. I think other translations call it dropsy, I think is what it is. Some kind of maybe kidney or liver disease that made him uh, swell. Um, I think it literally in the Greek, it was like face water, I think is what it is. Um, so either way, probably not pleasant, but was evident. And, and so we have to remember then that this individual was also then invited, right? So this Pharisee invites Jesus to his house for a meal and also invites this sick person to his house on the Sabbath day. Why? To be careful, to carefully watch. They're setting Jesus up. This man is bait, right? They want to see if he's going to commit and break the law and do work on the Sabbath day. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? It says, and they had nothing to say. They had nothing to say. They had no, they had no response to Jesus and what he was, what he was doing. I, I love here what, what G. Campbell Morgan says. He says, thus, while our Lord rebuked the wrong attitude 
and temper of these men, he did so by appealing to the best within them and calling them to be true to it. His purpose is not of shaming men, but that of saving them, right? He, he, he calls out, he's like, wouldn't you do that if you're a child, right? And this is, I mean, you wanna go down a rabbit hole and I'm, now I'm terrified of wells. Uh, when you just Google like child falling in a well, there are thousands of, right? Why are there so many wells and so many kids falling in wells? Don't play by wells, Henry, um, right? And because what, 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 what he's saying is what would happen? Cities and communities, they go, this was just some random one where they, they had like, a, it used to just be flat. And the community goes to the ends of the earth to, to remove the earth to be able to find this, this child. And he's saying, would you not do this? Even if it was a Sabbath, if your child or you saw a child or even an animal for that case, fallen down. And that's actually part of the law. In Exodus, it talks about if you see an animal uh, fallen in a well or hurt or injured or, or, or fallen under its heavy load, help it. Right? And Jesus is like, this isn't breaking the law. Matter of fact, this is obeying the law. He said, wouldn't you not also do the same thing? And they had nothing to say. And when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Again, throwing alongside the kingdom of God. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, they didn't eat the way that we eat. They didn't sit down at a chair and around a table. There was so much custom that would go in and around seating that they would recline. They would either lay down on these beds or these, these cushions that would be around a table that would be low to the ground uh, or elevated. Obviously, in this image, it's just the first century you know, Roman dinner party. And, and again, what would happen is that these people would be around the dinner table and there would be a host. And this host would be the, pe the person inviting people over. And people would come over and the honored guests would sit on the right hand of the, of the host. This was a place of honor to sit at the right hand because you would recline, you would lay on the host as you would eat in the center. And what would happen then if you butchered a lamb, that the lamb would be there and the best cuts of meat would be for the honored guest and the people at the far end of the table, um, they're in the bad side or whatever, they're, they're the non-honored guest, whatever it may be, they're eating, they're, they're eating the, the liver, right? Or whatever it may be that's left over after these other guests and it kind of trickles down around it, right? Not everyone got the filet mignon. It didn't work that way uh, with a party like that. So Jesus is saying, when you come in, when you're, there's, there's something about humility that happens, go sit on the far end of the table, right? Go, go to the opposite side. Don't, and so that the guest, the, the, the host would say, hey, come, why don't you come move up, move up? And then, it's, then you're honored rather than dishonored and shamed in that culture of saying, whoa, whoa, what are you doing here? Oh, this other guy came, this other woman came, they're gonna sit here, you scoot down, right? Which would have been shameful, all right? So he, he shares the story. Again, it's thrown alongside, what is the kingdom of God Right? The kingdom of God is made up and the people who are in the kingdom are, are humble. That they're not about, hey, look at me, look how good I am. It's got nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the, the host who's honoring them. So now, here again, he's talking about these social norms around this meal. Right? He's talking about meals and eating as they're going to be sitting around and eating. So now here's our text. Luke chapter 14, verse 12 says this. 
Then Jesus said to his host, says to the prominent Pharisee, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, um, I actually had to look up luncheon. I was like, I, I feel like luncheon's not in the Greek. That's actually a really good translation. Uh, it just means a light meal. I was like, and almost every translation uses the word luncheon. I just, I was like, luncheon, really? I don't, I don't know, it can't be right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the idea of, of reciprocity, right? Quid pro quo, right? Tit for tat. You scratch my back, I scratch yours, right? That, that I'm gonna do this thing. And this happens all the time. We do this all the time. I did it yesterday, right? I went to my cousin's house. We had a cookout. And you know what I did when we were leaving? Hey, we'll have to have you guys over sometime by the end of the summer, right? We always do this. And it's just this idea of reciprocity. And Jesus is saying, this is not how this should be. I mean, that's gonna happen, right? Of course, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But he's saying that when, don't expect anything back. Why? You're gonna be repaid at the resurrection. Well, I'm gonna throw this party and people can't pay me back. Great. Our treasure's in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. We do this, um, we had these long Minnesotan goodbyes, right? Me already in the car, uh, my parents uh, taking 30 minutes to say goodbye to their friends, right? We've all been there and we've all, and then, then what are they doing? They're doing the reciprocity thing, right? Oh, we'll have to have you over, we'll do, we'll do this thing, we'll have, right? We, we do this all the time. But I think even more so, we, I think we can take it a step further that we want reciprocity for our good deeds, that we, that we do something, Paul was just even saying this morning, uh, he was like, yeah, we, we, want, we, want, uh, we want righteousness, right? I do something good and I want this reciprocity of righteousness. God, you owe me a clear conscience because of this good thing that I did. That's just not the gospel. That's not grace. That's not what happens. God says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you and lavish my grace, not because of anything you did, that we are the poor, we are the ones who can't pay back, and yet we demand that so often. So then, continuing in this text, verse 15, when one of those at the table heard this, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, so this individual, maybe a religious leader, who knows, but someone invited to the Pharisee's house, says this to Jesus. So Jesus is talking about this feast and talking about this meal and, and, and norms and social things that should be happening from someone who's a follower of Jesus or in the kingdom of God, as a follower of Yahweh. And he says this to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. It's so easy, again, just to gloss over this, to read the story left to right and go, yep, cool, this guy said this thing. There is a lot happening here. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. It's what set them apart from another sect of Judaism called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's how you remember that. Uh, the Pharisees, though, believed in the resurrection of the dead, and they, they talked about it in, in the writings of, of Old Testament, as well as in their extra biblical writings, the Mishnah and the Talmud. That, that it was described as this great banquet, this feast. And so here is this guy, most likely a Pharisee, maybe not, but a religious man, 
says to Jesus in this way, blessed is the one who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. And every single commentary I read this week was like, this is not just like, a, like an icebreaker. You know, like someone like, hey, blessed is the one who takes and eats in the kingdom of God. This is an indictment on Jesus. This individual is saying, I'm gonna eat at this feast. And you, Jesus, you eat with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. You are not gonna eat at this feast. Can you imagine the audacity? Imagine being Jesus. Imagine being the Lamb of God. And there's gonna be a great banquet, a feast with the Lamb of God. He is the one who's hosting it. And this guy has the audacity to say, I'm in, you're not. Not good. <laughs> There's implications here that this individual will be in and Jesus will be out. I just wrote in my notes like, like wow. Right? To, to, could, I mean, could you imagine saying that to Jesus's face? I'm good, you're not. And yet, I think we do this sometimes. I think that when we read the teachings of Jesus or, or, or we read anything in our Bibles and we go, yeah. I don't think that's for me. That must have been a cultural thing. I don't know if that has anything to do with me. I don't know if that applies to me. And we do this. Like, Jesus, I know you said that thing. Like, I know you said don't lust after somebody, but that's a little old-fashioned. I don't know if that's actually true. And we do this. We do this to Jesus all the time. Right? We're, we're the bad guys in the story. We're the villains in the story. We're the ones calling out Jesus, saying, I know better than you. This guy says this, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus replies with a story. When Jesus replies with a story, you're in trouble. <laughs> Every time this happens, when someone makes some kind of statement or indictment and he doesn't answer the question or he doesn't talk about it or, or respond to the statement and he breaks out into story or parable, you're in trouble. So Jesus, he's like, oh, you want to talk about a banquet? Let me talk about a banquet. I'll tell you about a banquet, a luncheon. No, <laughs> a great banquet, a wedding feast. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Culturally, just a little bit of context. There would have been two invitations that would have gone out. This was just what they would have done in, in ancient cultures. We kind of do the same thing. We'll send out an RSVP, right? And then, and then maybe like day of, right? Or our Facebook, like, hey, a reminder, tomorrow we're doing this thing, right? We're still having this party. So we might kind of do that, but this would have been a very formal thing. They would have sent out invitations ahead of time by mail. I don't know how that worked. Uh, they would have handed off a scroll <laughs> and they would have said, hey, we formally invite you to this thing, to this banquet. And then what would happen on the day of the banquet, they would send out people or servants that is said here, and they would go to them and say, hey, we're ready. You can come now. So what's going on here? There are these two invitations that would go. And if you RSVP'd the first one, and, and I think this is still generally true, that if you're having a party and someone says, yeah, we're there, and you take the time to, to plan for it, you take the time to get the right kind of food for it, and then last minute they say, oh, I can't actually come today. It's, it's frustrating. It's infuriating. 
R.C. Sproul says this, that when, when you reject the second invitation, he says it's a grave insult, grave enough to be grounds for waging war. Like that's, that's intense, right? People went to, went to war over being rejected, right? This was, a, this was socially really not cool. And so that's what's going on. These people reject this invitation and they start to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Right, and, and, and the, he's gonna give a couple illustrations. I, just, well, I guess I'll just read the next two here. Another said, I have just bought a, a five yoke of oxen and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Okay, so they give these three ridiculous excuses. And, I, and I'm sure if you have a pulse, you've probably made up some doozies, uh, right? Uh, well, I got in a car accident, right? I got a flat tire. Um, you know, for the 18th time, my mom died this week. Uh, whatever it is, right, where we make up these ridiculous excuses to get out of something, and that's what's happening here. I just bought a field. I need to go look at it. What? You didn't look at it before you bought it? Right? It's this ridiculous excuse. Oh, oh I got these five yoke of oxen. I got to go try them out. You're telling me you didn't test drive them before you bought them? It's just ridiculous. I got married. Well, are you going to not be married if you come to this thing? They're all just kind of these ridiculous excuses, and I, and I know I, I have a friend who's like this uh, who just says the most ridiculous things. Right? Hey, do you want to hang out tonight? Do you want to play a game? Like online, you can stay in your house and you want to play a game. And it's like, oh man, I can't. I got this huge deadline project due tomorrow. And if I don't do it, I'm going to get fired. My kid's going to get kicked out of school. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just say you don't want to play. Like, it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, just, just be honest here. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go to, out to the roads, to the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet." Again, this is a story, this is a parable thrown alongside the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a banquet, is a wedding feast, and everyone's invited. Everybody, not just these ones that are formally invited. He's saying the ones who are formally invited, which we'll talk about in a second, who are they? They're, they're not gonna be there. You, you just accused me and said, you know, hey, I'm going to be at this banquet. You're not Jesus. And he's saying, oh, I'll tell you who's going to be at the banquet. It's not going to be you. It's not going to be the Jews who are formally invited. You religious individuals who take the law and think that everything revolves around the law. It's about grace and it's about invitation. And so I am the, the host of the party. They're going to go out and they're going to invite everybody people who can't take care of themselves, and then the foreigner, the traveler, someone who's on the road, go out to the roads, go beyond the, the Jews and go to the Gentiles. That's what's happening here. Again, R.C. Sproul says this, Jesus isn't just talking about oriental protocol or invitations to feast. Right? He's not just telling a story about people who, who didn't show up to a banquet. There's, there's a deeper parable, deeper meaning getting thrown alongside here. He is talking to the leaders of the Jewish nation who have just rejected him. God had been pleading with Israel for centuries. The first invitation had gone out years previously to enter into the feast of heaven. 
And now the servant of God, God's son himself, comes with that second invitation to say that the feast is ready and it's time to attend. But the response to the Pharisees was to make flimsy excuses as to why they could not embrace the kingdom of God. They rejected the invitation of the son of God to come to the banquet feast. And we can listen, we can read the story and go, man, that sounds, it's, it's really, really sad. At the same time, this is actually good news. This is good news for all nations. This is good news for all people of the world when Jesus says, I'm gonna extend my invitation to anyone who's willing, anyone who wants to come in. And there's room, there's room at the table, but I want it to be full. This is good news. So again, we, we, we show this, I've shown this, who knows, hundreds of times over the last six years of grasping God's word by Scott Duvall, this image of that we, we cannot jump to point five of grasping the text in our town and applying it until we understand what it meant to them. And when Jesus tells this story, it is quite literally, Jews, you are rejecting me as Messiah, and therefore, my grace is gonna go and extend beyond the Jewish nation in Israel. It's gonna be for all people. That's what it meant. And so again, we gauge the width of the river, what's going on, culture, language, time, situation, covenant. And then we cross the principalizing bridge. We consult the biblical roadmap. And then, and only then, can we uh, apply it uh, to ourselves. And so how do we grasp this in our town? The first one, which I've already mentioned, is this is good news. (laughs) That Jesus died for all people that his house may be filled. That's good. That's great. Or Because if he doesn't do that, we're out. We're not in, we, then, then maybe if we, if we read our story the right way in the Old Testament, then I, got, I guess I gotta become Jewish. That's not the point. The second point that I think that we can do, this principle that I think Jesus teaches here is that we need to be people of our word. This is a picture of, of me and my wedding. You're like, who's that guy with Angela? <laughs> that was me uh, back in the day, uh, coming up on 13 years here now. And uh, do I look good, Henry? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> you better say yes. Uh, just kidding, buddy. Uh, weddings, right? It, you can only imagine, right? When you, when you send out an invitation, and I, I remember there were people who RSVP'd, right? And, and it, man, if you've ever gone through a wedding, it's awful, all right? I, I mean, just the, the planning behind it, and I didn't even really do that much, but it's not fun. Right? And then you got to pick where people are going to sit and at what table. And you painstakingly try to figure out who's going to sit with who without making a ruckus. Are they going to get along? Oh, these people don't like them, so let's put on an opposite. You do all this work with the RSVPs, and then they don't show up. It's infu- And I didn't even pay for it. My father-in-law paid for it, and I was mad about it. Right? The people don't show up. It's like, man, what, you said you were to come. Why didn't you come? One of my groomsmen stood me up on the day of my wedding. He's like, I got a new job and I can't be there. All right, <laughs> right. So we were lopsided, right? She had like seven and I had six on my side. It's great, good day. <laughs> no, it was obviously an amazing day. I don't remember it except through pictures, but when people cancel last minute, it, it can be frustrating. And you take the time to prep and to cook and all these different things and, and, then, and then nothing happens, they don't show up. Right? And you, you either have to waste the food or you got to find a restaurant to give it to, right? like my, my friend. 
Paul uh, Stiver, he's mentioned this too, that I think as millennials, I know some of you are Gen Z, but you're older Gen Z, you probably uh, feel the same way, that it's kind of like a, like a high to cancel plans last minute. There's something about the, the relief of like, oh, I don't have to do that thing, right? Uh, I found this, I don't know if this is true, I don't know where they got these numbers from, um, but Fox News, I think it was a screenshot from them, uh, how the generations approached plan cancellations. And 65% of millennials canceled plans over COVID-19. I did. I mean, what an easy way to get out of things, right? It was amazing, right? It was like, hey, we got this plan, we got this thing, we got Mother's Day. It's like, ooh, remember that COVID thing? I don't know. I don't know if I can make it, right? Uh, Gen Xers, 60%, and then the 56 of boomers canceled over COVID. Um, I, I, I think that this is part uh, of, our, of our culture. Uh, uh, Stanley here from the office, right? Making plans when you're in a good mood versus the day uh, when you actually have to go, right? Uh, it, this just happens, right? That you can be like, yeah, and accept that first invitation, but then when it shows up and it's time to do it, we go, I don't think I want to do this. I want to go. Personally, and if you're in my small group, don't take offense to this, this is how I feel every single week for small group. And you probably do this on Sunday. Your alarm goes off and you're like, oh my goodness, this is my one, like one day I get to sleep in today, right? And it's like, maybe yesterday or the day before, like, yeah, no, I, I like my church. I like going to church. And then the alarm goes off. You're like, this is really stupid. Why is it so early, right? And, and then same thing with small group of like, man, I, I love my small group. But every Tuesday at about five o'clock, I'm like, ah, oh, man, we got small group tonight, right? It's just, it's just something in my heart. This is like, I just... I just want to relax. And then when people show up, it's, oh yeah, no, this is, this is why we do this. This is great. This is good. This is fun. We get to live life. We get to share and read the stories of the Bible and, and, and get into the story of God. And then we get to encourage one another with uh, um, accountability. Uh, and so if you're not in a small group, I'd, I'd encourage, you, encourage you to do that. But I want to go uh, and skip uh, into Matthew where Jesus says this. And he is preaching, Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking now, and he's teaching. And he says this, he says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, right, he, he, he takes what was Old Testament law, and he actually makes it way more intense. And what's the whole point of it? He gets to the end of it, and he says, unless your holiness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're not gonna enter the kingdom of God. It's like, whoa, whoa. What, are you, what are you saying? And he's like, oh, no, no, actually, let me, let me just make this statement to everyone who's hearing my sermon. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Boom, I'm gonna end it with that, see you later. What? Well, I, I can't do that. It's impossible for me to do that. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's the point. You, you need me. You, you need my righteousness, you need my grace. And he says, you, you've heard this, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, right? I swear I'm the God of heaven. I'm not gonna do this thing. Jesus is like, don't do that. Or by the earth. I've never heard someone swear by the earth, uh, but you know, someone's grave, you know, for sure. For it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no, right? That's, right? We don't have to make up these big excuses. We don't need to do that. We don't need to swear, hey, I promise you I'm going to do this thing, right? And I, I make, just yesterday, uh, okay, he's kind of paying attention. I'm gonna, uh, just yesterday, I, I, we were in the car. We were driving home from my cousins, and I, and I was threatening punishment, right? And my wife was like, don't, 
don't say things that you're not going to follow through with, right? Because obviously it's awful for a, for a child to say, oh, I'm going to be punished for this thing, but then I don't actually punish them. I felt, I, I'm, I, I'm guilty of this. I don't let my yes be yes and my no be no. And then my children realize that. They take advantage of it as little kids will. But we do this. We don't let our yes be yes or our no be no. And then Jesus says this, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It comes from the devil. Like, like do not swear by something else or you're going to be like the devil because you're going to be lying. It's amazing and how, <laughs> what a good thing that Jesus let his yes be yes and his no be no. Thank God, literally, that Jesus was a man of his word. Thank God that Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's pleading with his heavenly father, is there any other way? Let this cup of wrath that you're about to pour out on me, is there any other way? And he says, not my will, but yours be done. Could you, could you imagine if he accepts that first invitation, let your will be done. And then as he's being ushered in and he's about to be beaten by the Romans, he goes, actually, time out, time out. Forget this. I do not want to have to go through with this. I'm done. Let's call an angel. Wipe him out. We're done. I'm not doing this. He could have done that. But thank God Jesus is a man of his word. And gospel application, just a couple little things here. One, fall through with your commitments. Could be with friends and family, could be church, it could be different events that we've got going on, whatever it may be. If we say we're gonna do it, let's do it. And I, th I think that there is a, it is a generational thing uh, that those of us in this room who are millennials and younger, there's just something about that freedom that we get to say, oh, I don't have to go do that thing that I once said I was gonna do. Let's not do that. Jesus calls us to not do that. But also, I think more importantly, you've been invited to the table by the host. The Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sin of the world, invites us to feast with him, that we get to sit with him in a place of honor, not because of anything that we've done, but because of all of that he's done, his finished work, that we get to feast and banquet with him, luncheon with him, little, little sandwiches. We've been invited to this table. What a, what a joy, what a privilege, what an honor, not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus said, I want to go to the highways and the byways. I want to find anyone and everyone who will come so my father's house may be full. And so we get to do that. Every week here at Lower Town, we have communion. We get to, in a way, have, go to this table. We get to go to the table that Christ said, I want you to do this. I want you to have this meal in remembrance of me. That my, my, the juice that represents my blood that was shed for you to, to cover the wrath of God, the righteous, just wrath of God for your sins, I'm going to pay for it. There is no reciprocity here. There is no tit for tat. It is not, I'm going to die for you. Now you owe me. Because we can't pay that back. And so that's why we get to joyously remember the finished work of Christ. The wafer that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us on the cross. And again, we get to remember that Jesus was a man of his word. Not my will, but, but yours, Father, be done. And he does, and he goes through with it to redeem mankind. That everyone has an invitation to the table, and all we have to do is say yes and show up, and he will take care 
of the rest. So as we take these elements, all I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love to have you take these elements with us this morning. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you say, yes, I love Jesus, he is king, and I'm thankful that he died for my sins, and I'm thankful that he follows through with his commitments, and I'm thankful that he invited me to the table, then I'd love for you to take these elements with us this morning. The worship team's gonna come, they're gonna play two songs, and uh, feel free to grab the elements as you see fit, uh, and then uh, worship as, as you see and feel led to do that. Let me pray, and then we will uh, worship with communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did not send your son to die for our sins and then say, you are now mine and you owe me. You need to do this for me. And if you don't, I might, I might, I might kick you back out that we can't do anything to earn your love. We can't do anything to earn your grace. It's only because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so I thank you for that. Instead, you look at us and you say, I now own you. You are mine and I love you and I cherish you and I care for you and I want you to be seated at my table with your elder brother, with your older brother of Jesus. And we're gonna sit around and have a family dinner and we are gonna party because of the finished work of Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for that. I pray now that as we take these elements, that our hearts would be inclined to repent individually, corporately, and that we would praise you and worship you and thank you and remember that Jesus said it is finished. And there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can add. There's nothing we can do to deserve that invitation, but only by your good grace. We love you. And it's the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.